Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 274. Today's big Bible questions are, what is hypocrisy and why is it bad? Plus a bonus question, why is the Bible violent? So happy weekend, friends. Shorter episodes today and tomorrow because it is the weekend, so a bit less commentary and a bit more of the Word of God, which sounds like a good plan to me. Now, I myself am not only a podcaster, but I'm also a listener of podcasts, currently subscribed to like 100 different podcasts, which is probably too many. Uh, One of my favorites, as I've told you before, is the Ask Pastor John podcast. In this week's episode, he got a question that made me chuckle a little bit, and the question was from a listener named Scott, why is the Bible so violent? This particular guy had been listening to the Bible uh, through the year, And he was, at the moment, listening through Judges, got to Judges 19, which is a pretty rough chapter, and was pretty appalled at the violence and was curious what good all of the depictions in the Bible were for its readers. I think it's a great question, and it made me chuckle because, you know, First and Second Samuel, which we've been reading through, are every bit as violent as Judges, if not more. A fact I'd sort of jokingly reference most days that we've been reading those passages. Although, ironically, today's passage is not really violent at all. Now, I love Pastor John Piper's answer, so I want to reproduce parts of it here, uh, because I'm sure you've wondered this question, too. So, if you already listened to his podcast answer, I'm not going to say all of it here. Just let me give you some of the highlights, because it's pretty profound. This is what John Piper says. We live in a soft, very soft, easily offended, emotionally fragile culture that unfits us to grasp what most of history has been like and what most of the world is still like. I think God gave us the Bible the way it is with all the horrors, partly because he knew the day would come when we would be so spoiled, so cocooned, so overprotected, so coddled that we would not have the emotional and mental capacities to grasp utterly crucial realities in the Bible and in the world. There are truths about God and about his ways in this world, and there are truths about sin and judgment, that unless we have been made resilient in the face of horrors, we will not be able to grasp. We won't be able to grasp them with any sense of proportion and truth. All that to say, I hope you will press on in immersing yourself in the whole Bible year after year. These horrors are there for a reason, says Piper, and he gives three reasons for those horrors, and I'm going to shorten them here. Reason number one, unrestrained rebellion, and Piper says, let me cut to the chase and let you give you three answers to this question. Why is there so much violence in the Bible? Well, let's start with the context of the book of Judges. Four times in the book of Judges, we read this sentence, in those days, There was no king in Israel. And in two of those instances, the sentence is followed by everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And as we've talked about before on this podcast, part of the point of how dire things are and awful in the horrors, as Piper says in in Judges and 1 and 2 Samuel and other books in the Bible, is it's a demonstration of what, what it's like when people do what's right in their own eyes. And Reason number two, Piper says, we live in a fallen and sinful world. The biblical answer is that when sin entered the world, as described in Genesis 3, God responded not simply by judging man's emotions and thinking and willing relationships, but he also responded by subjecting the human body and the entire material and physical creation to his judgment. And we see that in Genesis 3. We hear it explicitly in Romans 8.20. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope. 
Now, why would God do that? Why did he ordain that the effect of moral evil would be displayed in the horrors of physical evil? Earthquakes, floods, famines, pandemics, wars, and every manner of horrible mistreatment of man on man? He did it because he knew the people who are dead in their sins would never comprehend the moral outrage of treason against God unless they saw it reflected in the physical outrage of violence against men. Nobody loses sleep over their sin and treason against God, but let their physical body be touched with cancer or their house be touched with rioting, and then their emotions really rise up with moral anger. Violence and suffering exist in this world as a divine witness to the meaning and the seriousness and the outrage of sin against God. Reason number three, we are saved by violence. Now, I bet you didn't see that one coming. There's one more answer to why there is so much violence in the world and in the Bible. Revelations 13.8 says Piper reads that there was a book in the presence of God before the foundation of the world. And the name of that book is the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. All thoughtful Christians know that at the center of our faith and at the foundation of our salvation is one of the grossest, most violent, and gory events in the history of the world, namely the crucifixion of the Son of God. There is no salvation without this violence. Now, we might plan a different kind of world and a different kind of salvation from eternity to eternity if we were God, but that's not our choice. God planned to save us through violence, the gruesome death of his infinitely precious son. And he said that this is how we would know his love. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. And we know how he died. Christ died for us. There is no softening the death of Christ as it though it were a little gold symbol hung around our pretty necks. Wow, that's a powerful answer from Pastor John for some of the reasons why the Bible is as stark and as violent and as uncensored and unwhitewashed as it is. Well, our Bible focuses passages for today include 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 78, Ezekiel 29, and Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be focused on Galatians 2, which is all about the dangers of hypocrisy. So let's go read that chapter and then discuss this most horrible thing that is found in my heart and yours. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now, from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with a gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those were recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave their right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, 
he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you, who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while speaking to be seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Amen. So, There's an interesting occurrence in the middle of this chapter, especially if you've never read it before. Paul calls out Peter, yes, the Peter, an apostle and disciple of Jesus and a big-time leader in the early church, for hypocrisy. That is news in and of itself, or it might seem to be. More on that later. But we need to first discuss what hypocrisy actually is. Well, our word from hypocrisy comes from the Greek verb hypokrinomai, which is very similar to the English word, and it's a pretty fascinating word. It means to feign, F-E-I-G-N, or pretend, or to act. Something less than genuine, a pretender. We see the verb used in Luke 20.20, where a group of spies sent from the religious leaders tried to make Jesus stumble. And the verse reads, They watched closely and sent spies who pretended to be righteous. Well, that's the word there, pretended. Probably the clearest definition of hypocrisy is actually given by Jesus in the Bible in Matthew 23, where Jesus is calling out the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy, and he does it seven times in that one chapter. The very beginning of that chapter says, Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses, therefore do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. A hypocrite is a pretender then, pretending to follow God and obey the way of Jesus, but actually not doing so with our actions. A hypocrite doesn't practice what they preach, which is exactly what Peter was doing in this passage. Knowing that the gospel was for the Jews and Gentiles, Peter would eat and fellowship with them when other Jewish Christians weren't around. But when Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem, Sent by James, Peter stopped associating with those Gentiles, apparently trying to pretend to still follow Jewish rules on eating and such, and Paul called him out for this hypocrisy. Let me repeat, as I said earlier, this was Peter, the mighty evangelist, the disciple of Jesus, the leader of the apostles, the author of two books of scripture, and really the dictator of the book of Mark to Mark, probably. He was a hypocrite. But that's not headline news, dear friends, because you and I, we're hypocrites too. Not all of the time, at least I hope not all of the time, but regularly our way of life and our actions don't always line up with our confession of Christ and his commands. 
When the professions of our faith and the way we identify ourselves don't line up with our actions and the way we treat people, we become actors. We become hypocrites. We become pretenders. And very few things repulse people away from Jesus more than hypocritical Christians. It is not without cause that Jesus warned his disciples in Luke 12:1, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Brothers and sisters, may you and I daily, hourly, minutely be on our guard too against this hypocrisy. It is a most dangerous and sinful state of being. Second Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, David spoke the words of this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from the grasp of all his enemies and from the grasp of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior, you save me from violence. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. For the waves of death engulfed me, the torrents of destruction terrified me, the ropes of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress. I called to my God from his temple. He heard my voice, and my cry for help reached his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the heavens trembled. They shook because he burned with anger. Smoke rose from his nostrils, and consuming fire came from his mouth. Coals were set ablaze by it. He bent the heavens and came down, total darkness beneath his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He made darkness a canopy around him, a gathering of water and thick clouds. From the radiance of his presence, blazing coals were ignited. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. He shot arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. The foundations of the world were exposed at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not turned from God to wickedness. Indeed, I let all his ordinances guide me and have not disregarded his statutes. I was blameless before him and kept myself from my iniquity. So the Lord repaid me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. With the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. With the pure, you prove yourself pure. But with the crooked, you prove yourself shrewd. You rescue an oppressed people, but your eyes are set against the proud. You humble them. Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord illuminates my darkness. With you I can attack a barricade, and with my God I can leap over a wall. God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord, and who is a rock? Only our God. God is my strong refuge. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and sets me securely on the heights. He trains my hands for war. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your help exalts me. You make a spacious place beneath me for my steps and my ankles do not give way. I pursue my enemies and destroy them. I do not turn back until they are wiped out. I wipe them out and crush them and they do not rise. They fall beneath my feet. You have clothed me with strength for battle. You subdue my adversaries beneath me. 
You have made my enemies retreat before me. I annihilate those who hate me. They look, but there is no one to save them. They look to the Lord, but he does not answer them. I pulverize them like the dust of the earth. I crush them and trample them like mud in the streets. You have freed me from the feuds among my people. You have preserved me as head of nations, a people I had not known serve me. Foreigners submit to me cringing. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling from their fortifications. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. God, the rock of my salvation, is exalted. God, he grants me vengeance and casts down peoples under me. He frees me from my enemies. You exalt me above my adversaries. You rescue me from violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, Lord. I will sing praises about your name. He is a tower of salvation for his king. He shows loyalty to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Psalm chapter 78, verse 1. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise things. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might, and in the wondrous works He has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach to their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children, so that they may put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep His commands. Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by His law. They forgot what He had done, the wondrous works He had shown them. He worked wonders in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, the territory of Zoan. He split the sea and brought them across. The water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light throughout the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? Look, he struck the rock and water gushed out, torrents overflowed, but can he also provide bread or furnish meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and became furious. Then fire broke out against Jacob and anger flared up against Israel because they did not believe God or rely on his salvation. He gave a command to the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them an abundant supply of food. He made the east wind blow in the skies and drove the south wind by his might. He rained meat on them like dust and winged birds like the sand of the seas. He made them fall in the camp all around the tents. The people ate and were completely satisfied, for he gave them what they craved before they had turned from what they craved, while the food was still in their mouths. God's anger flared up against them, and he killed some of their best men. He struck down Israel's fit young men. Despite all this, they kept sinning and did not believe his wondrous works. He made their days end in futility, their years in sudden disaster. When he killed some of them, the rest began to seek him. They repented and searched for God. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they deceived him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere toward him, and they were unfaithful to his covenant. Yet he was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash all his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh. 
a wind that passes and does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They constantly tested God and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his miraculous signs in Egypt and his wonders in the territory of Zoan. He turned their rivers into blood and they could not drink from their streams. He sent them swarms of flies which fed on them and frogs which devastated them. He gave their crops to the caterpillar and the fruit of their labor to the locusts. He killed their vines with hail and their sycamore fig trees with the flood. He handed over their livestock to hail and their cattle to lightning bolts. He sent his anger burning against them, fury, indignation, and calamity, a band of deadly messengers. He cleared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but delivered their lives to the plague. He struck all the firstborn in Egypt, the first progeny of the tents of Ham. He led his people out like sheep and guided them like a flock in the wilderness. He led them safely and they were not afraid, but the sea covered their enemies. He brought them to his holy territory, to the mountain his right hand acquired. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned their inheritance by lot and settled their tribes of Israel in their tents. But they rebelliously tested the Most High God, for they did not keep his decrees. They treacherously turned away like their ancestors They became warped like a faulty bow. They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their carved images. God heard and became furious. He completely rejected Israel. He abandoned the tabernacle at Shiloh, the tent where he resided among mankind. He gave up his strength to captivity and his splendor to the hand of the foe. He surrendered his people to the sword because he was enraged with his heritage. Fire consumed his chosen young men, and his young women had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword, and the widows could not lament. The Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior from the effects of wine. He beat back his foes. He gave them lasting disgrace. He rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David his servant and took from him him from the sheep pens. He brought him from tending ewes to be shepherd over his people Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hands. Amen. By the way, I was only supposed to read half of that for today and half of it for tomorrow, but we went ahead and read the whole thing for today. Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 1. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, face Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all of Egypt. Speak to him and say, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster lying in the middle of his Nile who says, my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your streams Cling to your scales. I will haul you up from the middle of your Nile, and all the fish of your streams will cling to your scales. I will leave you in the desert, you and all the fish of your streams. You will fall on the open ground and will not be taken away or gathered for burial. I have given you to the wild creatures of the earth and the birds of the sky as food. Then all of the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am the Lord, for they have been a staff made of reed to the house of Israel. When Israel grasped you by the hand, you splintered, tearing all their shoulders. When they leaned on you, you shattered and made their all their hips unsteady. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I am going to bring a sword against you and cut off both people and animals from you. The land of Egypt will be a desolate ruin. Then you will know, they will know that I am the Lord because you said, my, the Nile is my own, I made it. Therefore, I am against you and your Nile. I will turn the land of Egypt into ruins, a desolate waste from Migdal to Syene as far as the border of Cush. No human foot will pass through it 
and no animal foot will pass through it. It will be uninhabited for forty years. I will make the land of Egypt a desolation among desolate lands, and its cities will be a desolation among ruined cities for forty years. I will disperse the Egyptians among the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. For this is what the Lord God says. At the end of forty years, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples where they were dispersed. I will restore the fortunes of Egypt and bring them back to the land of Pathros, the land of their origin. There they will be a lowly kingdom. Egypt will be the lowliest of kingdoms and will never again exalt itself over the nations. I will make them so small they cannot rule over the nations. It will never again be an object of trust for the house of Israel, drawing attention to their iniquity of turning to the Egyptians. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. In the twenty-seventh year, in the first month, on the day of the first month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon made his army labor strenuously against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder chafed, but he and his army received no compensation from Tyre for the labor he expended against it. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says, I am going to give the land of Egypt to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and he will carry off its wealth, seizing its spoil and taking its plunder. This will be his army's compensation. I have given him the land of Egypt as the pay he labored for since they worked for me. This is the declaration of the Lord God, and that day I will cause a horn to sprout for the house of Israel, and I will enable you to speak out among them, then they will know that I am the Lord. Amen. He is the Lord. Bless him and worship his holy name, and may he bless you and shine his goodness on you. Good day and Godspeed.